Good morning. Today's message will be from the book of John, chapter 4, and the message is entitled, Salvation of the Woman of Samaria. And we will briefly look at four points. The first point is God's remarkable mercy to reprobate sinners. The second point is God's persistent patience while sharing the gospel. And the third point will be God's wisdom and grace speaking with the sinner. And then the final point will be God's omnipotent power to save the wicked and the lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another beautiful day of life. We thank you for your word, that we can study it and that we can apply it into our life. And Lord, we thank you that you are the author of all things that are good and all, all of life. Lord, that you'd bless my tongue today as I speak, that I would um, only bring glory and honor to your word, that you would also bless the listener and that your word would be powerful in all of our lives. Lord, that you would forgive the sin in my life and in the lives of the listeners so that we can be more productive for your kingdom. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word as we study this passage from the book of John. Jesus, you are a good God. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to, the, to die on the cross to be the propitiation for our sins and that your Holy Spirit would be with us, that your Holy Spirit would be more active in our lives, that you consume any darkness that would try to steal your word. And Lord, we do thank you for also our families, for all of our health, our, all of the blessings of your grace and your mercy that you show us every day. We love you, Father. Amen. So today's passage will be from the Gospel of John, and it's going to be chapter 4. And we're going to look briefly at the verses 1 through 26. This is kind of an extended passage. And I will read them now. John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus upon the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you... Being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof to himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, 
that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh not such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. This is a very interesting story because this is at the beginning of his ministry and the feast had just been completed in Jerusalem. And already the leaders of the Jews, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, Sanhedrin, they were already plotting to kill Jesus. And of course, this was early in his ministry, so he was not yet uh, prepared because of all of the preaching and miracles he had yet to do for the next few years. He was not yet at this time ready to go to the cross. He was always led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was always fulfilling the will of the Father. And verse 1, John 4, 1 says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. This verse is pointing out that the leaders of the Jews recognize that Jesus is much greater than John the Baptist. It says that they heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. But verse 2 is very important for us to understand. It points out, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. Many times, um, new Christians or, or people that are searching for answers, they will ask, do you need to be baptized to be saved? And there is some doctrine out there that says you cannot go to heaven without being baptized. That's actually not a correct doctrine. You do not need to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Remember, there were two thieves on the cross who were crucified when Jesus was crucified. And one of the, the thieves repented. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus answered him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Certainly that thief, he was saved because Jesus said, Today you will be with me. They didn't take that thief off the cross to baptize him. So that's one example in the Bible where um, somebody who was saved and certainly died shortly thereafter, this thief on the cross certainly died thereafter, he was in heaven. But this, these two verses also point out that, <clears throat> that Jesus fulfilled everything on the cross. He said, it is finished. All of our salvation is from Jesus. A hundred percent of our salvation comes from Jesus. We don't do anything to be saved. 
if part of our salvation process was to be baptized, that would be man involved in the salvation process. And yet Jesus completed it all. And it's also interesting that verse 2 says, Jesus himself baptized not. If indeed we had to be baptized to be saved, Jesus would have been baptizing people himself. And also it, it really asks the question, begs the question, how would we be saved in 2017 if Jesus needed to baptize us? So the baptism is the Christian's profession in front of his peers, in front of the public. It's a public profession that he is saved. That's why we're baptized. It's one of the Lord's um, ordinances that we do follow as Christians, the other being the Lord's Supper. Verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So Jesus is now headed from Jerusalem, which is in the south, and he has to go through the, the, the area called Samaria, and then that goes even further north into Galilee. And Galilee is approximately 100 miles north of Jerusalem, and Samaria, the, the, where this well is in this little town called Sychar, it's approximately 40 miles north of Jerusalem. So it would certainly be a couple of days journey. Even if you walk 20 miles a day, which would be very tiring, it would take you two days to get to this well from Jerusalem. Verse 4 says, And he must needs go through Samaria. The Holy Spirit was leading Jesus to go through Samaria. There were other routes to get to Galilee. They would have been longer, of course. This was the shortest route. But the, Jesus was always fulfilling the Father's will and he was going through Samaria. And this is significant because the Jews as a whole despised the Samaritans. They considered them, if, if this is the proper term, half-breeds. What had happened at approximately 700 years before this, 700 BC, Assyria conquered the... Samaria territory and what they did is they took many of the population of Samaria and they exiled them into other countries and what they did is they brought in refugees from these other countries to populate the area of Samaria so these towns that were in the Samaria area of course in future generations the Israelites would marry the Samaritan I mean the the non-Israelite people the ones the refugees who were brought in so the Jewish line from the Israelites' perspective was no longer pure. For example, you know, if somebody were from Assyria that was brought in, now you'd have some, they would be half Israelite and half Syrian. So because of this, the Israelites looked down upon them that they were not clean and pure Jews. Also, the Samaritans, they worshiped false idol gods. Well, of course, many of the Israelite uh, people did too in the southern kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar conquered Israel as God's judgment because they were worshiping false gods also. The Samaritans only looked at Moses' law, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and they really didn't look at any of the other Old Testament books. And of course, they only follow, followed Moses' law, and there were many other laws and statutes that were added by uh, the Jewish leaders up to the point where Jesus, when he walked on the earth, there were over 600 of these little rules and laws that they had to abide by. So Jesus was walking into this area where the Jews themselves, many of them would not even go. And it, what it shows, it's God's remarkable mercy to us sinners, to us reprobate sinners. 
And God's salvation can go into any area, into any wicked heart. He's a roaring lion. He's not going to back down from any any evil or any demon that might try to prevent the gospel. Verse 5, Then cometh he, Jesus, to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. So this city is approximately 40 miles north of Jerusalem. And he came near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob would have lived approximately 1,800 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So this property has had quite a long history. Verse 6, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Jesus came to this well to get water. He was thirsty. The sixth hour on the Jewish clock would be around 12 noon. Of course, our, our day starts at midnight. So at 12 noon, we've already used 12 hours of the day. The Jewish day started at 6 a.m., typically when the sun would come up. So their sixth hour was already noon. If Jesus had been walking for five or six hours, he certainly would have been thirsty. And it also shows that in Jesus being 100% human, he was frail. It says being wearied with his journey. Jesus got tired. Remember at, when Lazarus died, it says Jesus wept. On the cross, Jesus said, I thirst. Jesus had all of the emotions and all of the... He was tempted in all manner as we are, but he never sinned. Because Jesus is 100% man, he was frail. He got tired. He needed food. He needed rest. He got cold. But because Jesus is 100% God, he never sinned. And because he never sinned, he is the only perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross. This is one of the mysteries of the Bible. It's a, a truth that's revealed to us, but it has a supernatural quality. Only God could lead a sinless and perfect life. So now in verse 7, it says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. So we see this lady from Samaria. She's coming at noontime to draw water. And that is um, outstanding in some ways because typically people wouldn't draw the water for their, for their household needs unless it was the, the cool of the morning or perhaps later in the day when the sun was starting to recede and set. And we're going to learn in a little bit that this lady was somewhat of an outcast and she didn't want to go draw water at the well at the same time as the other women uh, because she would probably be looked down upon because of her past. It's amazing. Jesus says to her, give me to drink. And it's amazing because typically Jewish men did not speak to women in public, especially the women that they had never seen. And in this case, typically a Jew would not speak to a Samaritan if it were a man. And here this is a Samaritan woman. So there are many reasons why a typical Jewish male would not approach her and he would not kind of condescend himself to ask water of a woman, exposing his needs as a man. And yet Jesus, he condescended from his throne in heaven and be became flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus is the most powerful of 
he is the only true God. There can be many little g gods, but God is the only true God. And he became flesh. He became one of us. And here he's asking for a drink of water from the Samaritan woman. And to even receive a drink of water from a Samaritan woman would make the Israelite unclean. And yet Jesus, this is of no concern to him. He says, give me to drink. Also, the Bible teaches us that if we offer even a cup of water in the Lord's name, it will not go without reward. And this is so amazing. Jesus asks her for a cup of water and she does give him to drink. And look at the reward that she receives. As we see later in this story, she receives eternal life. Wow. What shall a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And yet this lady, she is going to be repaid with eternal life through her faith in Jesus as the Redeemer Messiah. John 4, 8 says, For his disciples were gone away onto the city to buy meat. Sychar is actually a little bit farther down the road, perhaps a mile and a half or two miles from the well. We don't know if Jesus sends them on to get food for the day or if um, they took it upon themselves. The Bible is really silent as to that point. But it seems like the Holy Spirit had put this special occasion when this lady would be coming to speak with Jesus God himself in the flesh, just one-on-one. -on -one. And who better to witness to somebody who has a need for salvation than Jesus himself? So we find in this verse that Jesus is speaking with this lady one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Verse 9, John 4, 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me? which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now this lady, when she looked at Jesus, she could see that he looked like a Jew. He was wearing his beard like a Jew. Remember, Jesus fulfilled every jot and every tittle of the law. His mannerisms, his speech, the clothes he wore, the way he was um, presenting himself, Everything about Jesus spoke that he was a Jew. And this woman could see, even from a distance, that he was a Jew. And she asks, why do you ask drink of me? And she knew that by her talking to him under the Jewish law, he would become unclean. So this is amazing to her that Jesus would even approach her. And she points out that Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The Jews were very prejudiced against the Samaritans. And yet Jesus is reaching out because of his mercy. He has remarkable mercy to all reprobate sinners. The grace of God that brings salvation, it has appeared to all men. And the Bible says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. Jesus has an awesome, remarkable mercy. Let's look at the second point, God's persistent patience while sharing the gospel. Jesus is long-suffering. Many of us, were bound up in persistent sin patterns in our life, but God loves us. Once we're saved, we're his child. And he says he will never leave us nor forsake us. John 4.10 Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink. Thou wouldest have asked of him, 
and he would have given thee living water. So here we see where the lady of Samaria, she is totally thinking in the physical realm. She is thinking about her need to have water, physical water. And Jesus immediately speaks into the spiritual realm. He's talking about giving her living water. And this actually reminds of the conversation one chapter earlier in the book of John and John chapter 3, where Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles except God be with him. And rather than saying, oh, thank you, Nicodemus, Jesus immediately says, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, unless the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus immediately switched the conversation from really mundane things that are worldly to spiritual. Jesus always knows our spiritual condition and what we need in the spirit world. In John 4.10, Jesus says to the lady of Samaria, if you knew the gift of God and who it is, if you knew what the gift of God is, which is eternal life, and who it is that is speaking with you, that I am God, I am speaking with you, and I have the gift of eternal life, and I can give you this living water. 4.11, the woman saith unto Jesus, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? So she's still looking in the, in the physical, and she's at the well, and she knows it's a very deep well. And she's looking at Jesus, and he has nothing to draw water out of the well with. In fact, he's already come to her and asked her for a drink. And then she says to him, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? So she's asking Jesus, Are you greater than our father Jacob? I wonder if Jesus was like chuckling to himself. The God of the universe, God who made the earth, God who made the Middle East, God who made the water, God who made the well, God who made Jacob himself. Of course, God is greater than Jacob, but she doesn't see yet spiritually that Jesus is the Messiah Christ God. Verse 413, Jesus answered and said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. So we see here this second point where God is persistent and he's patient while sharing the gospel. He's saying to her, whoever drinks of this physical water will thirst again. And many of us, we have children, perhaps we work in the yard, um, maybe we play sports. Certainly we get thirsty, even if we take that big 32 ounce gulp from 7-Eleven. Two, three hours later, when we're active, once again, we thirst. Anybody who drinks of the water, the physical water out of that well, would thirst again. And then he goes on to say to her, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So again, Jesus goes from the physical and he brings her into the spiritual realm. And again, he's teaching her, Whoever drinks of the water springing up into an everlasting life that he offers will never thirst again. And what this really speaks to also is you cannot lose your salvation because once you're saved, 
in this verse, it's saying, I shall give him and he shall never thirst. In other words, he will never lose his salvation. He will never be once again looking for everlasting water. He will never again thirst of eternal life. Lord will always be with, with us once we're, once we're saved. Once we're saved, we're always saved. And this verse speaks to that point. John four fifteen, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Again, she reverts back to the physical water. And she says, give me this water. She thinks maybe perhaps it's some kind of a miraculous water, um, a mysterious water, that if she drinks of this, she doesn't have to come back the next day and the day after and the day after to replenish her water supply. That once she drinks of this, that she would not physically thirst again. And that's why she says that I thirst not, neither come hither, come back here to draw water out of this well. Let's move on to the third point. God's wisdom and grace speaking with the sinner. So in John four sixteen, it Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. So here we see the wisdom of God in how he's addressing the sinner, how he's approaching her individually, coming at her with information that only she is privy to. And he says, Go, call thy husband, and come here. And he knew that this was a core issue with her. And look at how the lady answers in 4.17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. She is probably wondering why Jesus would pick this topic. I mean, there's many topics to talk to somebody at a well. You know, you can talk about the, the mundane things in life, perhaps politics, perhaps religion. But he goes to the heart of her person and he says, go call your husband. And she truthfully answers, I have no husband. Because in verse 418, Jesus says, for thou hast had five husbands and he in whom thou hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. So Jesus really reveals all of her background. He says, you have had five husbands. And he whom you're with now, he's not your husband. And he acknowledged her truth when, when she said she had no husband. Because at this point, she is not legally married. Now, we don't know if perhaps she had five husbands who died. But the, the setting for this is that she has divorced these husbands. And that now she's quite possibly living an immoral lifestyle. And the setting being that she has to come at daytime and not at the evening time with the other women or in the early hours when, more, when, when people would typically come to draw the water. But certainly, when we reflect upon our lives as we get older, family becomes more and more important to us. And when we meet somebody and we start to introduce ourselves, invariably, we bring up our family and our children if, if we're parents because we become proud of our children and our family. And here she has five different families because she's been married to five different husbands. John 4.19, we see the woman's perception starting to change. She's moving from the physical into the spiritual because she says to Jesus, and the woman saith unto Jesus, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So now she's starting to talk 
and address the spiritual circumstances of her life. And it's very similar to Nicodemus. He was a little bit ahead of her on the curve because he said, we know thou art a teacher come from God. And now the woman is saying, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she brings up a spiritual issue. And we really don't know her motivation. Maybe she's trying to change the subject by bringing and framing a, a, a very typical question. Perhaps she's a little bit defensive because Jesus is now speaking to something that is tender in her life, that's very near and dear to her heart. But she says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, Jesus didn't physically say to her, Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She is putting Jesus into the category of the Israelites who say that you have to go to Jerusalem to properly worship the Lord. She's pointing out that all the generations going back all the way to Solomon's son, when Solomon died, Rehoboam took the, the throne and there was a division because Jeroboam took the northern tribes and he set up a false idol calf in Samaria. And that was one of the places where they worshiped on that mountain. And their fathers worshiped in this mountain. One of the reasons why God judged the northern tribes, the 10 tribes, is because they worshiped false gods. And indeed, that's the reason why he also judged the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, because they also were worshiping false gods. God actually brought the judgment by bringing Nebuchadnezzar in approximately 120 years after the Assyrians had conquered the northern tribes. And here we see she's raising this issue. Now let's go to the, to the um, fourth point, God's omnipotent power to save the wicked and the lost. Because here we see where this lady actually becomes a convert of Christ. John 4.21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. And Jesus is speaking about his going to the cross, becoming the propitiation, the sacrifice for mankind. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Jesus would go to the cross. He was saying the hour cometh. In fact, that hour was very fast approaching. Within a couple of years, he would go to the cross. Jesus is saying, when you neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will worship the Father. The Comforter will come. When Jesus ascended into heaven on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. And now we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us when we become saved, when we become a Christian, when we become a child of God, our body becomes a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus is speaking to. In John 4, 22, Jesus is also telling her, ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So Jesus is pointing out here that she really didn't know what she was worshiping. She was not worshiping a tr the true God, Jesus, Jehovah, Christ. And he said to her, you don't know what you're worshiping. It's not correct what you are worshiping, whatever that might be, but you know not what you worship. And then he points out salvation is of the Jews. 
And certainly salvation is, this is a true statement. In the Jewish culture, your heritage was through the mother's line. And Jesus' mother, in the physical sense, when he became flesh, when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem, his physical heritage came through his mother, the Virgin Mary. And she can trace her heritage. She was of the of the line of tribe of Judah. She was a, of the tribe of Judah, taking her heritage all the way back to King David. And of course, if you look at the generations prior to King David, he goes all the way back to Noah, and Noah goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. So we all can trace our heritage back to Adam and Eve. Mary was of the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah being an Israelite tribe, when he said salvation is of the Jews, that was what he was making the point of, that the temple mount was in Jerusalem. Salvation, how you were saved, was of the Jews. In a much broader sense, Jesus is also the only begotten Son of God. Therefore, he's all 100% man and 100% God. And this is one of the mysteries of the Bible. Here we see that salvation for all of us is of the Jews because Jesus being a Jew is the Savior of the world. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. If you're living here in America in 2017 or living in China, South America, Africa, Australia, anywhere in the world, Europe, it doesn't matter. If you're going to be saved, it has to be through Jesus Christ. And he is God, but he was also in the flesh a Jew. John 4, 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. So again, Jesus is saying the hour now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In order to truly worship the Father, you have to be born again. As Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born of water, your natural birth, and of the Spirit. That's through the Holy Ghost. In order to worship God in truth, you have to worship Him in spirit by being born again. Otherwise, you cannot worship God in truth. And that was the issue with the lady in Samaria. God said, you don't know what you even worship because you're not worshiping in spirit and in truth. And it says the Father seeks such to worship Him. Anybody who's saved has to be drawn to the Father. The Father draws us to Jesus and He is the doorway. He is the way into eternal life. Jesus also said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and I give unto them eternal life. We have to follow Jesus and He becomes the doorway, the pathway into heaven unto the Father. But the Father does draw whoever goes to Jesus. Another one of the mysteries in the Bible, it's predestination and free will, how that all goes together. You know, now we see through a glass darkly, but one day God will reveal these mysteries to us when we see him face to face. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And indeed, God is a spirit. No man has seen God at any time. And Jesus is the image of God when he was born in the flesh. If we worship God because he is a spirit, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 25. The woman saith unto Jesus, I know that Messiah cometh, 
which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. So here the lady again is approaching her, her moment of salvation. And she says, I know that Messiah cometh. She knows all about God. She is um, very familiar with the, four, the five books of the Pentateuch, Mosaic Law, because the Samaritans, they only studied the first five books of the Bible. And she's very familiar with the coming of the Messiah. And she said, when he comes, he will tell us all things. He will reveal these mysteries to us. And look what Jesus says in John 4, 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So here Jesus reveals himself to be God. This is another point many people that are apostates or non-believers, they raise the issue and they say that Jesus really never called himself God. On many occasions, he, he claims to be God because he is God. And this is one of them. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I am Christ. I am Messiah. Now the lady has her spiritual blinders taken off of her eyes. And I believe that this is the point where she acknowledges her sinful past, that through the grace of God, she has a, a godly sorrow for her sins. The godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. And I believe that this, through the grace that God is giving her, that this lady at this point repented and she did receive Jesus as her Lord, God, and Savior. And let's look at a few closing verses from this um, fourth chapter of John. It says in 428 that the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? It seems like many people, when they are saved, when they're truly born again, they become on fire for the Lord and they want to share immediately the good news. And she it says, left her water pot. That means she was in a hurry to share the good news that she had just received Jesus. And she wanted to tell the men of the city, Messiah is at Jacob's well. And she was in a hurry to go back. And it says, she told the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. You know, when Jesus said, you've been married five times and the man you're living with is, is not your husband, he really went to the core of her being. He defined and exposed her past sinful life. But he was non-judgmental. He was showing his wisdom and grace in how he talked to her. And you know, it's on us when we speak to people too to show grace. One of the verses says, let your speech be always with grace and seasoned with salt so that you know how to answer every man. God doesn't want us to hammer the, the gospel message into the unbeliever. We need to have his Holy Spirit discernment on when to share the gospel. And here, this lady, of course, she's a babe in Christ. She's only been saved for literally a few minutes at this point. She shares the gospel message with the men of the city. And then it says, in verse John 4.30, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. The men of the city came out of the city, and they came to meet Jesus. And 4.39 says, And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him 
for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. The lady was not afraid to share her testimony. She was well known in this little town. Her background was well known. And in many cases, she was probably ostracized, looked down upon, and perhaps even made fun of. And yet, this did not prevent her from sharing the good news. And look at how she was able to influence these men to come out to the well. And it says in 440, So when the Samaritans were come unto Jesus, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. They were in such a spiritual condition that they saw Jesus as the Messiah. And they knew that they were lost. And they knew they needed the word of God. And they begged Jesus to stay there in Sychar. And what a difference compared to the leaders of, in Jerusalem where they told Jesus that they were going to kill him. And that was the reason he left Jerusalem. They hated Jesus and they were quite possibly happy when he left. Of course, they couldn't find him to kill him at that point. But the fact that he left, probably many of them in the back of their mind are going, good riddance. Look at, we see the difference. These Samaritans begged Jesus to stay in additional two days. And in 441, it says, and many more believed because of his own word. Many more people were saved because of Jesus' words, his preaching. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then the final verse in this section here, 442, it says, And they said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Wow. When we think about the Lord, he says, Any good work will be rewarded in heaven. It seems like this woman at Samaria will have many, many rewards in heaven. What a testimony she's had now for 2,000 years. I heard a pastor mention one time that this is the longest passage in the New Testament where Jesus talks one-on-one -on -one with an individual. And from many people's perspective, she was a wicked lady. And yet Jesus spends all this time and really he honors her by having such a long passage put in his holy word. And in many um, respects, it parallels the thief on the cross who was saved. For 2,000 years, people have been reading about this passage of scripture and they've been moved by the grace of God and the wisdom of God and his omnipotent power. Jesus can save anyone. There is no one who's so wicked that his grace can't pull them out of the depths of their sin. It's only because an individual chooses to reject the free gift of salvation, to reject that grace that has appeared to all men. Those individuals will have to deal with that consequence of their decision all throughout eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful passage in John chapter 4 and about your grace and your mercy and how you were patient with this lady at the well, and how you revealed yourself as being the true Messiah, Christ God, her Redeemer, her Savior, her God, her Lord, and how she was converted, how she became saved, 
and how she was excited about her salvation, that she repented and she went back to the town and she told all the things that Christ had told her about in her life and that she was able to witness with her testimony, with her change of disposition, with her change in demeanor, the people could notice a change and, and they were encouraged to come out and see Jesus. And then in hearing him preach, their mind and their heart was open to the gospel message. They were the type of soil that brings out 30 and 60 and 100 fold fruit and at the harvest. And Lord, that we would be like the Samaritan woman, not having a sinful background, but Lord, that we would be open to your Holy Spirit speaking to us. And Jesus, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for sending your son to go to the cross to die for our sins, for our wickedness. And Lord, that you are the sacrificial lamb. And also, Lord, thank you that on the cross, you finished the work. It is done. And Jesus, all that we need to do now is receive you as Lord God and Savior and to live our life for you. And Lord, give us a fear of you so that we can receive more of the blessings that you have for those who fear you. And Lord Jesus, we just want to say thank you, God. We love you. Amen.